Welcome to Marvel Studios News. My name is Sean Gerber. I will soon be joined by my co-host, Paul Herman, for episode 61 of our show. We're still on the road to Infinity War, but we're skipping ahead. Our last episode, we talked about Marvel's The Avengers as we've been going in order of release for all of these MCU movies. But we're not going to make you wait all this time to hear us talk about Black Panther. So we're jumping into that in this episode. It is a spoiler review. So it's intended for the people who have seen the film already. If you haven't seen it and don't wish to be spoiled, then this is not the show for you. Come back and listen to the rest of this show once you have seen Black Panther. Now, before we get started with our show, I have some people to thank. I want to say thank you to Tim Callahan, Vincent Gomez, Tony Peluso, Jason Carver, Leon Webb, Maurice Lee, and Brian James Crew. These wonderful people are our latest patrons over at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. Our patrons have exclusive access to content that is not available anywhere else because they because of the support they provide to our podcast. We have different tiers available that provide different levels of exclusive content. Uh, the first level that we have that, that provides exclusive content allows you to get access to what are our Patreon credit scenes. That's where we do an additional 20 to 30 minutes of discussion on every episode that we do. So you hear this main show that's available wherever you get your podcast, and then the Patreon exclusive content that, or that everybody gets to hear, but then the Patreon exclusive content just for our patrons, they hear us talk about uh, the theme recently has been the connective tissue between the film that we're talking about on this road to Infinity War and Avengers Infinity War slash Avengers 4. So for this week, we'll be talking about everything with regard to Black Panther and how that connects to Infinity War, including something that we're speculating about that did not appear in Black Panther, but I think that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not in Wakanda and won't factor into uh, Infinity War. So there'll be more on that in our spoiler discussion than, of course, much, much more on the Patreon credit scene. But we also add in additional news discussion. So for this week, we're talking about the overall and the overwhelming reception to Black Panther at the box office, as well as the news that Sony could have bought uh, most of the characters that now populate the Marvel Cinematic Universe for just $25 million back in 1998. So we kind of look at the way the world might have unfolded uh, and the superhero genre might have unfolded uh, if that had happened. Uh, we do a little bit of a hypothetical. We run through some of those hypotheticals. Now, a couple more things regarding our Patreon, including one that's time-sensitive, as this episode goes up on Tuesday, February 20th. On Thursday, February 22nd, we are going to be giving away five digital copies of Thor Ragnarok to our patrons on our Patreon. So we're actually participating with Voodoo in their viewing party that's coming up on Friday, February 23rd at 6 p.m. Pacific time, and they've given us... 10 digital copies of Thor Ragnarok to give away. We're giving away five via Twitter. So if you go and look in our timeline at Marvel Newscast, you can see the tweet that you can, well, first make sure you follow us, but then retweet the, the tweet that's in our timeline that is uh, with respect to that giveaway. So you can find that there. And that will give you one opportunity to win. But if you don't win there, you'll have an opportunity to have probably better odds via our Patreon. If you're one of our patrons, we'll be giving away five copies there. So again, in order to participate in that, hopefully you've heard this episode in time. And if you go to patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News, and if you sign up, then you can be entered in to win one of those drawings. Uh, the deadline to enter is Thursday, February 22nd at 5 p.m. Pacific time. So again, 
that will be uh, that is an opportunity for you to get a free digital copy of Thor Ragnarok. You do need to have a Voodoo account in order to redeem the digital code that we will give you, but it's easy enough to go sign up for that at Voodoo. And then all you have to do is have a form of payment on file, just like you do with iTunes or anywhere else. There won't be any charge for the digital copy of Thor Ragnarok, but obviously, you know, they like to have anything on file in case you decide to purchase any other movies through Voodoo. So there's a cool opportunity coming up for our patrons. We're also going to have two exclusive shows later this month, depending on the tiers that you choose on our Patreon page. So we will have... An exclusive episode that steps outside of our Road to Infinity War that we've been on for uh, these past uh, several weeks. But we're also going to be having our Q&A episode for Black Panther. So anytime a new Marvel movie comes out, we do our spoiler review, but we also do the Q&A so that our fans, our listeners, our patrons can actually ask us questions. And we will have the opportunity to answer those questions, whether it's regard to just spoilery details about the film or prospects for the future with sequels. Whatever it is, we answer those questions. So our patrons get first priority in terms of uh, which questions we are going to answer, although anybody can submit the questions. There will be more details on that later. Um, but also our patrons will be the only ones who actually get to listen to it because it is exclusive to one of our tiers over at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. And the last thing that I want to say about that is just what makes the Patreon more convenient for everybody who chooses to support the show is that when you sign up, you actually will get your own RSS link that you can use and you can enter that into whatever podcatcher you use, whether that's Apple Podcasts or anyone else. You can anything that allows you to subscribe via an RSS feed with an, an HTML link for an RSS, then you can use that because you'll get your own link that you can put into whatever podcatcher you use and just subscribe that way. And if you do that, you will get all of the content that you have access to based on your Patreon level so that or, or your patron level, the tier that you chose. So that will include obviously the main episodes that you've normally heard by whichever feed you've subscribed to us from. So you'll hear all of those plus whatever exclusive content you're entitled to based on the support you provide on Patreon. So you can have everything in one place. It's not like if you support us on Patreon, now you got to go to two places to figure, uh, to figure out when there's new content from Marvel Studios News. So all that is available that way. So I apologize for the longer introduction this week, but there was just more information that I had to provide for you all. So a, few, uh, a couple quick last notes. Make sure, again, that you follow us on Twitter at Marvel Newscast, where you can see, again, another opportunity for a Thor Ragnarok digital copy giveaway. And you can also check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Marvel Studios News. And lastly, make sure you check us out every day at marvelstudiosnews.com, where I'm writing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And again, it's new articles posted uh, several times a day, every single day, so you can check us out there. So I promise I'm done. That's it. Let's get on with our show. Let's talk about Black Panther. All right, Paul, we're back on our road to Infinity War, but this time we're going back to the future. We're skipping ahead. What? We, yeah. Oh. So last week we were talking about the Avengers, which was uh, the sixth stop on the road to Infinity War. We are jumping to stop number 18 because Black Panther is out. It just came out. So even though we've been going in order of release this whole time on our road to Infinity War, we're not going to make you guys wait several weeks to hear <laughs> us talk about this brand new Marvel movie that's in theaters and just had the second best opening weekend 
at least who knows that's what it was when we're recording this show maybe <laughs> yeah you know, as of the, the time the, yeah yeah as of the time we're recording this show it's at 201.8 million for its first three days only behind uh the avengers at 207.4 for the best three-day opening number uh for any superhero movie uh for you know regardless of marvel it's actually impressively enough um it's the best opening for a movie that either isn't a sequel that that I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. It's the best opening for a movie that is part of a standalone franchise and not a sequel because the only movies ahead of it are two Star Wars sequels, a Jurassic Park sequel and The Avengers, which of course is not a standalone franchise. It's the culmination, it's the it's like the inter-franchise of many others. It's a sequel exactly. of all the different so, films combined into one. So, Come yeah. on. So it's amazing to see this kind of performance for Black Panther, not just within the superhero genre, but beyond that for any and all movies. It is a phenomenal opening for Black Panther. And actually, because of the holiday on President's Day and a lot of people being off work, it's expected to go past the Avengers in terms of how each film did in their first four days. Uh, Black Panther, as of this recording, is scheduled is uh, projected to make 235 million, and I think Avengers was like 226 point something uh, in its first four days. So uh, a huge start for Black Panther. But before we get into that, before we get into the film itself. Uh, which, by the way, as I said at the in the intro and as I said in the title, this is totally going to be a spoiler show. So uh, if you haven't seen the film, this is not the one for you. You can go ahead and watch the movie, although I, I imagine if you're listening to this show, you probably saw the movie at least once on opening weekend, uh, and you will probably not mind the, all the spoiler talk, but just got to throw it out there one last time. But before we get into the film itself, Paul, let's do what we've been doing the whole time on this road to Infinity War. Let's talk about the journey to this film and i know there's been a lot of talk recently about it back in the 90s how wesley snipes was trying there was thought to be a black panther movie and, and wesley snipes was there was trying to get that going and and i know that that was a thing that uh, you know never quite obviously never quite materialized but i really want to focus more on the road to black panther within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I remember Black Panther not really being much of something that people thought of in Phase One, um, because we already we already kind of we knew the roadmap for Phase One fairly early on, so there wasn't really mm-hmm. a lot of question marks as to when certain other characters would pop in. But after the Avengers, then all the talk became, well, what? Okay, so now that we're getting into Phase Two, and then we'll get into a Phase Three what are the new characters? And that's when I remember Black Panther along with Doctor Strange being the names that got kicked around the most, even more so than Guardians of the Galaxy until a couple months later when Guardians got announced at Comic-Con in 2012. So, but then once Guardians was announced, it was still that conversation about Black Panther. And then where Black Panther really started becoming more of a a real thought for me um, in terms of uh, how this would look in the MCU, it was actually when I saw the movie 42 in 2013 because it starred this guy named Chadwick Boseman that I had never heard of, and he was playing Jackie Robinson. But I'm pretty much, even though like I have no casting authority on anything, I I still scout actors all the time (laughs) and try to figure out uh, which ones I, I like for superhero roles. And I can honestly say that I, when I saw 42, I just thought that uh, 
that Chadwick Boseman would make a great T'Challa. I thought that was kind of the way I always envisioned that character. He had such a great presence, but he was also very charismatic and likable. So I just, I really thought that that was going to be a good choice. So I was keeping an eye on him. And anytime people would ask me in doing podcasts of who do I like for Black Panther, I just started saying, I really like Chadwick Boseman. And then, um, it was October of 2014. I was at the I was at El Capitan. It was the it was the big Phase Three announcement that Marvel was making. Phase Two wasn't even over yet. You still had to have Avengers: Age of Ultron and Ant Man in 2015. But in at, uh, in October 2014, you had Kevin Feige there. You had several Marvel directors sitting in the audience, and then uh, Kevin Feige announced uh, Black Panther. He announced his solo Black Panther movie. And if you recall from that announcement the first thing he announced for the cap movie was he called it captain america serpent society and then he said which is still awesome by the way still would have been awesome no doubt i love the serpent society but everybody had kind of known going into it that it was supposed to be civil war so people weren't really buying it and sure enough at the end of the presentation he said oh yeah by the way serpent society is not the third captain america film it's going to be civil war and then downey and evans came out and then downey introduced Black Panther for Civil uh, that said that Black Panther would debut in Civil War before his own movie and announced that he would be played by Mr. Chadwick Boseman. And Chadwick Boseman walked out and I just went nuts uh, because that was, again, that was my guy. That was the guy I wanted for it. I just thought, I thought he was a really great, versatile actor and that had been proven even more so because after playing Jackie Robinson, he plays somebody who's so completely different um, in terms of the personality spectrum. Uh, in James Brown in Get On Up. So I just thought that this was a great actor to come in and play this role. So that was the first big step for me in the build-up to Black Panther was looking at Chadwick Boseman, thinking that this guy would make a great Black Panther, and then all of a sudden actually being there in person to see him walk out onto the stage as he was officially announced as T'Challa. Yeah, it was something that, you know, it was... I remember when the, the whole the whole announcement came down and phase three was was dropping. I remember I was at work and just kind of you know kept checking in for updates. And I remember uh, when they announced Black Panther, I got really excited because I always the thing with Black Panther is that that costume is is to me always been iconic. He has never been one of my favorite characters growing up. Mainly, you know, because he wasn't as prominent in the in the '90s as uh, you would hope or wished he would. But he obviously was around in guest appearances, a lot of Fantastic Four comic books, things like that. But his costume, I always thought the Black Panther costume was phenomenal. Um, it's so simple, but yet amazing. And I remember now. Help me out here, Sean. Did they show a picture of concept art of Black Panther they the did. same day? Yes, they did. Yes, they, they actually it, and they actually handed it out as a as a oh, poster that's right that day okay and i still got it yeah so i remember thinking okay as long as i get the costume right which is not going to be hard and sure enough when that picture showed up i said yep it's 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 pretty accurate i'm pretty stoked and he's got the white eyes and everything because you know obviously you know batman's got the white eyes and the wolverine's got the white eyes and obviously wolverine never had a mask and 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 batman always had just the regular eyelids and you know it, and that's fine but the white eyes, I've always thought that was really cool. I've always thought that was a really neat idea. And the fact that the concept art, that they were going out and, and showing everyone in the world that, hey, this is our Black Panther costume, um, it got me really excited because I'm like, man, they're going, they're really going for a legit Black Panther movie. Like, this is crazy. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where 
again, I don't, I, I didn't have like this huge amount of, of love for the character, but I definitely have started liking the character more in the last 10 years when I got back into comic books because Marvel made a more conceited effort to, you know, make him prominent. You know, the, the, uh, Robert Hunlin stuff we read for, for Marvel, uh, Reginald uh, Hudlin. Is, sorry, yeah. I always get, I always butcher his name. <laughs> I, I butcher everyone's names. Everyone knows this. Yeah, it's it's not, going back, going get, back, going back to Albert and Landmine. <laughs> See, it's nothing personal. Um, but no, like the Hunter oh, but stuff for was, people who are finding the show more recently, Albert and Landmine is a reference to uh, <laughs> Galaxy. Writers. Yeah, it's Abnett uh, and, Albert, Abnett and, and Lanning. Is, it's Abnett, Abnett and, and yeah, it's Abnett and Lanning. Who it's their yes. big run of Guardians of the Galaxy in two thousand eight that. Inspired, that was the debut of the the lineup that was ultimately used for the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Yeah, and I, I yeah, and I kept uh, butchering the name, calling calling them Albert and Landmine. Um, so, <laughs> but okay, but 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 seriously, here, I you know, get, I, I remember when we read the comic books. I remember referencing the fact that you know I went back and I read um, when I Batman Begins. Actually, I went to the comic store and I bought a black the Black Panther. Um, graphic novel john romita jr and hudlin's uh comic and it was solid i don't think it was great it was solid and i definitely picked up issues here and there and i became a real fan of the character once he started going into uh jonathan hickman's uh mm-hmm. new events and illuminati stuff he I, in fact jonathan hickman I, I would love to see jonathan hickman write some black panther stuff because i loved 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 his stuff um his his characterization of, of t'challa was great i felt so which we'll get to to later also obviously in the sequel which we'll talk a little bit later probably too so but yeah i i was really excited i was just starting to really love the character uh, Mar- and again marvel has done a better job with the character i feel the last 10 years um really trying to make you know bring him out there so and and, and the whole wakanda history so yeah i i I'm de- i definitely was you know had a better idea but by, by the time the movie got out i was like oh man like they're doing a great job of promoting the character and selling the character and now they're making a movie this is really exciting yeah, I mean, I was be as far as I was similar to you in that you know my Black Panther fandom was. I mean, I really really liked the character, but I would be lying if I said I was buying every Black Panther comic growing up the way that I was buying my Hulk comics growing up. So you know, it would be I would read something. Mostly, he would be appearing in Avengers books, or I, I remember buying some of. I did read some of Christopher Priest, uh, Christopher Priest run. Uh, just because when Marvel debuted that Marvel Knights line uh, in like the late '90s or early 2000s, I think late '90s, I I was not just for Black Panther, but for all those different lines. Like I was really into that idea because I was a teenager at the time, so I thought, "Here's my serious comics." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Legends was cool. I, so, I like Legends line. Uh, yeah, so no, I mean, I I, I liked it. And I mean, there are some problems in in Christopher Priest's line, but the, or in his yes, run, yes. especially yes. as it relates to the Dora Milaje. But you know, they skip that. So, uh, <laughs> thankfully, but anyway, you know, getting more specific to the film. Yeah. I remember that concept art was just gorgeous. Uh, and of course the costume was designed by Ryan Meinerding, who's the head of visual development at Marvel studios and their top, uh, concept artist. So, I mean, it was, uh, well, Andy Park is also a top concept artist there. Those guys are both great, but black Panther was designed by, uh, all those guys are great, but black Panther was designed by Meinerding. And, uh, I remember absolutely loving that suit and I just thought, okay, great um just make sure it doesn't look any different than that when it comes <laughs> once you put this uh once the, you actually make the costume that an actor is going to wear because this looks perfect and i think the other kind of big the next big step was actually just wakanda being named uh 
butchered, but still name dropped. It was a Paul Herman name drop that that Bruce Banner did gave I call, to. Wait, did I did I say what did I call it? No, 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 not you. I'm just saying it was in in the same way that you oh. Albert and Landmine <laughs> things. Bruce Banner did pull the Paul Herman with oh. Wakanda Wakanda. <laughs> so in uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron. Um, that's okay. That's right. Yeah, and I remember uh, the Avengers: Age of Ultron trailer had been out. And you know, Civil, it came out, I think, like October. That was the one that got hacked. It was the first Avengers Age of Ultron trailer. They were supposed to debut it later, but it got hacked. So they dropped it and, uh, you know, got leaked. And they just went ahead and they uh, debuted it. And, it, and it, it was in October of 2014, of course, just a little, you know, maybe like a couple weeks after the big Phase 3 announcement. And then later, uh, later on that same year... And, and like there was a quick flash in that trailer of Andy Serkis as you know at the time they did not announce what character he was playing but I knew he was going to be Claw you could just tell because like if you've seen you have seen enough pictures of Claw in the comics to be like yeah that's what Claw looks like not in every iteration but in several iterations that was what he had looked like and I actually was lucky enough to go to the premiere of the Hobbit and the I think it was the Hobbit the Battle of the Five Armies later that year and. I saw Andy Serkis at the after party, and so I just went up and started talking to him, and I just remember going up to him being like, I know you're not allowed to say anything, but I just want you to know that I saw, that I saw you in the trailer for Age of Ultron, and I know who you're playing. <laughs> he just started laughing, um, you know, and I said the name Claw, and then he just kind of like laughed it off without, of course, confirming it because he couldn't, but anyway... Um, and then, so I was, I was excited about that knowing that he was going to be claw. I actually thought that it would be more, uh, related to Wakanda and age of Ultron than there actually was. It really was just the name. Cause the part of Africa that they ended up going into, uh, in age of Ultron was not Wakanda, you know, so it was really just the, the whole idea of vibranium and claw. Those were the main and, and one mispronounced name drop that that's all you got for Wakanda and age of Ultron. But I was already geeking out at it cause it's just cool. Like, Wakanda exists now. This is a place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and eventually we're going to get to it. But then it was really just all about the rest of the buildup for Black Panther just became all about Civil War. And I remember just thinking that, you know, the costume, once we started seeing images and we, once we started seeing trailers and everything for Civil War, it's like, okay, they, the costume is not exactly like that concept art, but it's pretty faithful. Um, it's so good. And it, I just remember thinking, like, that looks pretty perfect you know because i I know Mm -hmm. it looked a little clunky in some of like the spy photos that had come out especially when they were shooting in germany like there were tons of photos uh of the suit at that point in time so i i think that um you know when i so like there were tons of photos at that point in time i was like ah, it looks a little clunky but i know like we all know from experience like a lot of these suits that they use on set it doesn't end up looking that way when you see like the final product so i wasn't really worried about that and it looked fantastic um, but I think things really kicked off for Black Panther, especially once Civil War was out and people saw the performance that Bozeman was giving as both as T'Challa, you know, just a guy in a suit and uh, losing his father. But then also as Black Panther as a full on superhero in the costume, it, his performance was amazing. And at that point, it, it, from that point, it's like Black Panther is just on now. Like Chadwick Bozeman is just he's just going to crush it. Yeah, Civil War was you know one of those things where I have to admit I had to get used to Bozeman's performance. I thought he did he was he was great, but um, 
his voice is so soft and I always, I always wanted a more commanding presence for T'Challa. And it definitely, I remember that was the one takeaway from the movie that kind of bothered me at first. He didn't seem as commanding in his voice as I wanted him to be as, as you know, for some reason I've always thought of T'Challa as having a very stoic, strong voice. And the way he plays T'Challa is more reserved and there's, and there's nothing wrong with that. I definitely have gotten used to it. I love what he's done but i remember that was that took a little bit of getting used to for me just you know my you know what i when i read the comic books i've always you know imagined being this very you know stoic regal you know i am the black panther you know whatever and and it was just it was different but i think that's one of the cool things about his performance in civil war that he you know he gave he gave the subtlety to it that i that i wasn't expecting and now i appreciate so much more which was perfected in black panther uh the film so but in civil war um besides that i mean i I thought his costume was incredible um like you sean i i did happen to see one video of black panther um or one shot of black panther uh that's you know from the behind you know someone took a spy photo or whatever and i remember thinking it looks weird, but they're probably going to, you know, obviously going to do something to it. But, you know, it, it was also kind of amazing to me that how much CGI is on the costume and not just his, but everybody's, but especially his. I'll be, look, I look at it. I'm like, that's not even like close to like, you know, I mean, it, it's but it's so seamless to me. No you know, pun intended or anything, but like it's. You know, it's just so it's just, it looks so natural that I don't even notice like him and Spider-Man. And I just think the Black Panther costume is a perfect, perfect uh, way just to, you know, to, to make, you know, obviously he was wearing cloth and like the Kirby stuff. Mm-hmm. But with the vibranium, mean, again, what they updated that he's wearing a vibranium suit that allows him to pretty much act like it's cloth, but it's bulletproof. It's like genius. I mean, it's 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 so set up perfect for him to to say that, and it just looks incredible. I, I think the you know seeing it on the seeing it in Civil War was like, yeah, this movie is going to be. I mean, I knew it was going to be entertaining no matter what. Because I mean, I go to these movies, movies to for like costumes for superheroes fighting supervillains, and he looked great. So I knew the movie was going to have at least what I wanted, which is a great costume. Yeah, and, and the costume actually, what they do is they they digitally paint the costume. So like uh, it's from the uh, the commentary track in Civil War, the Russos share that. They had that like every time you see the Black Panther costume, it's like he's wearing the cost. The costume is worn on the set, but then they digitally paint over it, uh, which obviously makes it you know end up looking better and and not as not as goofy. Because in order to pull stuff off, like the costumes just can't don't always it doesn't always work practically to make them look as as awesome and, and great as you want them to look uh, ultimately on the screen. But yeah, I remember. But even before Civil War came out, I guess I we skipped a step. I mean, Ryan Coogler had already been in talks to. To direct that came out, I think like late 2015, because every, um, you know, everybody was looking to see who was going to direct. And I know there was talk of like F. Gary Gray, and you know, so they had Marvel was going to was and, and also even months before that, Ava DuVernay being uh, potentially sought after to direct the film, and that didn't work out. But yeah, they definitely got the right person with Ryan Coogler, and I remember being really excited about that because as most of us were, I mean, we had just seen what he did with Creed. And everybody was just in love with Ryan Coogler uh, at that point. Those who hadn't seen Fruitvale Station saw Creed and just thought, okay, this guy's unbelievable. So I remember being really excited about that. So you had Coogler, you had Bozeman, 
And it just, and that, and I remember after Civil War, like it just became, that was when I started, started seeing like that hashtag of Black Panther so lit and everybody getting really hyped. <laughs> so for the amazing. Film. And then, so the, amazing. and then the cast just like one by one. And, and I may be yeah. going out of order on this, but I remember like Lupita Nyongo being in talks for the film and Denai Guerrera. And then, uh, eventually you get to Michael B. Jordan and, you know, and then like, obviously most of us thought at the time that like Andy Serkis would maybe return, but then like the, he, it hadn't been announced that he was returning for a long time, so we started thinking maybe he wouldn't come back uh, in this film. But then, and then of course we found out when they did the like start of production press release that he was definitely back. And but then you're just adding Forrest Whitaker and Angela Bassett, and I mean like the cast just kept getting more and more amazing. And especially when they all showed up, uh, I was there when they all showed up at Comic Con in 2016 because they came to Comic Con twice. Um, although it wasn't uh, it wasn't the full cast in 2016, but then in, they were pretty much all there last year in, in 2017. But I remember just thinking, man, you've got Coogler and this incredible cast. I remember this the, the whole time just thinking that this is the most unbelievable cast I've ever seen. You know, this is the, or the, actually, and plus with the director, like this is one of the like most star-studded groups of talent that I've ever seen come in and make a superhero movie, especially for a brand new franchise. So I remember just being re- that that was where my expectations really started going through the roof is not only did I have my top choice as an act for an actor playing Black Panther, but now you had he was going to be surrounded by this unbelievable cast with this amazing director. And it was all just going to be incredible. And then, you know, they, when they dropped the first teaser last June, it really kind of came out of nowhere. I was actually on a bus. <laughs> I was literally <laughs> on a bus from because I was working, uh, you know, television production. I was in production on uh, on a show, and we were on like a twelve or like a ten hour drive from like Columbus, Ohio, to Miami, not Florida, Oklahoma, <laughs> um, going all the way down. Wow. And then all of a sudden, like this, te- you know, I see because like I get the Twitter notifications on everything. I see the teaser poster. And they announced because the NBA finals are going on, they announced there's going to be the Black Panther teaser that night. And I'm just thinking, oh, my God, like, I can't believe they're dropping this already. And then they did. And it just looked amazing. I absolutely loved it. Um, And then, of course, seeing the next trailer, which was last October, like the trailers, everything about this movie just kept looking like it was going to live up to the talent that was making it. And that was where my hype for Black Panther was really coming from, is this unbelievable amount of talent involved, and it's all in every piece of footage that I'm seeing from it, and then seeing footage of it at Comic-Con, like it all just kept looking better and better. Yeah, I think I'm one of the people that, I I didn't think the trailers were were bad, but they weren't getting me like, really, really excited. Um, and I don't know if that has to do with the fact that we're getting, you know, multiple Marvel movies a year, um, or what, I don't know. It's, you know, I, I feel like after Dr. Strange, I, I just wasn't like, it just disappointed me. And but then it, it, it definitely righted this, righted the ship a little bit with, you know, ob- obviously with, with Spider-Man homecoming. Um, and then we got Thor Ragnarok. So, you know, I definitely had, uh, films that I that I liked from everything, but it just for whatever reason the trailers they looked cool. I was I thought they looked great. They looked solid, but I wasn't like getting uber hyped for it. And I think that had something to do with it. The fact there's so many Marvel films that I'm like, oh cool, Black Panther. This looks great. You know, I mean, 
I mean, I was going to see it the opening weekend, and I was, and I could, you know, I knew I was, I was going, I'd get more excited as it, you know, as it got closer. But the trailers never got me like to the point where I was just could not wait to see this movie. I thought it looked solid, and you know, I mean, I thought there was some cool stuff in it. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it wasn't like overly hyped. I, I definitely, you know, was looking forward to it, but but whatever, you know, it wasn't overly like I was like Spider-Man: Homecoming. I could not wait to see that movie, um, mainly because it's. Spider-Man's, a, Spider-Man's my favorite character for people who don't know. Right. So, yeah. So th- understand me. And, and Thor Ragnarok was I mean, it was a fun hoot. You know, I mean, I thought it was great. So, you know, Marvel had kind of righted the ship since Doctor Strange for me. And, um, yeah, I just was kind of, you know, anticipating to see the movie, but not to the extent of everyone else was. And I think that I've kind of felt I remember kind of feeling kind of bad because, you know, I wasn't as excited as, you know, like, especially as you, Sean, or or other people online. You know, I mean, I was excited for it in a sense for what it represented and, and as far as representation in, in, you know, film and things like that, which is so, so freaking important. But as a film itself, as a character, I wasn't like, yes, I can't wait. Ah! You know, I wasn't like that. Right. So, um, and, and again, it wasn't because I, I don't know if the trailers just were underwhelmed me, but I don't know. I mean, it was I mean, like I said. I was really excited to see the movie. Um, the the cast, which we'll get to in a second, I definitely was was excited to see the cast. But uh, yeah, I wasn't at that level quite yet as as you were. Yeah, so I mean, I came into Black Panther with very very high expectations, as high of expectations as I've really had for a Marvel film, um, except for maybe some of the Avengers stuff, you know, <laughs> because like you know, the Avengers is like that's just a, there's just a different level of expectations when all the heroes come together because um, there's just a different level of excitement for me as a fan. But just in terms of my expectations of how great of a film I'm expecting to see, uh, Black Panther is is right up there at the top for for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I got to see it for the first time a couple weeks ago. And we all certainly understand, uh, or at least most of us do, and, and all of us should, you know, just how important this movie is for so many reasons. And as you as you brought up the point about representation, about inclusion uh, within films, and especially films on this level, because yes, there was Blade, and yes, there was Hancock, or even before Blade, there was Spawn back in 1997. But there's really never been anything on this level because even Blade was was people forget like we obviously Blade counts as the, in the superhero genre because it's based on a Marvel comic book superhero, but it was never really marketed as a superhero property. It was an action horror film. Um, you know, Hancock was marketed more superhero, but of course it wouldn't it wasn't rooted in anything that had this long standing following. It was just more of an original superhero like the. The idea of there's never been anything on really truly on this scale uh, with Black Panther, with a black director, with a predominantly black cast, with so many uh, you know with so many people of color in prominent positions on the crew, uh, not just you know not just the director, not just the actors, you know so many people involved in the in this film and what that was going to mean to an audience that doesn't get to see themselves nearly as often as they should, especially in movies on this level, but. You know, so there was there's all of that going into it, and Black Panther certainly delivers on on every aspect of that. But I was seeing it the first time; I was just taken aback. I mean, even though I had incredible expectations, um, I was very pleasantly surprised to see even my already lofty expectations exceeded with just the quality of this film, both in conjunction with its uh, 
cultural significance, but also independent of that. Just even if we were already getting the kind of movies that we should have been getting this entire time, Black Panther would still be a great film. Um, and I, you know, it's so I don't, you know, when I see people saying like, oh, people just are, are inflating their opinion of Black Panther simply because of its social significance. And, and for me, that's, that's definitely not the case. That is not my assessment of the film. I think it's legitimately great just straight up. And then it just, it's this added bonus of it's also this huge movement in pop culture um, and not just pop culture, all culture. Like it's incredible mm-hmm. to see what's happening with this movie because what makes this work is we, we've talked about this on our road to infinity war the word that I keep coming back to with Marvel is balance. And Black Panther strikes an incredible balance and does so in a way that I don't even think Marvel has accomplished before because I think this film digs deeper and gets much, much heavier thematically than any previous Marvel film. And that's not... in. And you all should know me well enough by now that I'm not somebody who thinks that Marvel doesn't dig deep and have heavy themes in their films. I think they do. Um, not in all of them, but I think they do in a lot of them, and it just you know people just don't give Marvel credit for that. But they yeah. definitely go to another level uh, in this film, and yet at the same, and we'll get into you know more. Spe- I'll get into more specifically what that means, but uh, just in this more general sense, like it, it's able to do that, and yet at the same time, it has dazzling, cool, fun superhero action. It has the sense of humor that you've that we've all come to expect from Marvel. This movie just hits in every area that you could really ask a comic book superhero movie to hit. And I don't think it's I think Black Panther immediately puts itself in that top class of not just Marvel movies, but all superhero movies and really all blockbusters and in, in re, certainly in recent memory. You know, I think this is an incredibly special film. And I think Ryan Coogler has proven why people had such high expectations in him as a director, uh, because mm-hmm. like, he's already done some incredible stuff. But I think as as great as Creed was, and as much as I love it, I think he's done. You know, he's got a new career best with Black Panther. I just, I think it's unbelievable what he's achieved here. Yeah, I've for the record, I've never seen any of his other films, and I and I meant to watch Creed, but I've been very lazy about watching non superhero Star Wars films. You know, whatever. Um, Going so you know, I talked about how going into Black Panther, I had, you know, I wasn't like overly excited when the trailers came out. I was you know excited to see a Marvel film and all that stuff, but um, as we got closer in the last week of, of this movie, uh, last week, <laughs> this last week, and um, it was something that the hype started growing more. You had seen it, you had praised it, everyone was praising it. You had you know. You know, you, you start hearing the you know the reasons why for a great movie. There's the cultural the the cultural uh, significance of it because that you cannot that's undeniable. You cannot talk about the cultural significance of this film. Um, you know, so you start seeing all this hype for it, and I'm the kind of person that dreads hype. I hate hype. I used to love it. My good friend Dave Valdez, who uh, is on, he's on, who takes pictures, pictures of toys. His name's Father's Figures. He's on uh, Instagram and Twitter. A little shout out to my boy. 
um, he kind of taught me to hate hype because I've definitely have disappointed myself with being overhyped. And I remember he's getting scared, like, oh man, like everyone's talking about this movie that's so good and you know it's such a culturally important movie. And I'm like, what if I don't like it? You know, I was like, I was like, I was scared. I was scared. I'll be honest, because I didn't want. Because first of all, I hate I hate not liking Marvel films. Like I remember sure. Doctor I remember Doctor Strange, and that's basically what I was scared of. Because like I didn't want to not like Black Panther. Because, you know, because if I didn't, I'd be honest and say I didn't like it because Doctor Strange, I was so pumped for that movie. And I went in, I watched it once and I just said, I, I didn't I didn't love it. I didn't love it. And it was hard for me to say that. I, I, you know, I don't know if you guys remember that show. I just remember feeling like this, I was disappointed in myself. Like it's, I hate the fact I don't like this Marvel film. Like, you know, it, I, I even like Thor Dark World more than Doctor Strange, I think. You know, I mean, it was it was hard. And so all this hype started to just get heaped on Black Panther. And I'm like, OK, you know, I've I've gone. I've seen movies that get overhyped. And I've usually been like, I liked them, but not as much as everyone else. Everyone thinks I'm, just, I'm being a hater because I hate to be on, the, you know, a, a, you know, the same the same train as everybody else. And that definitely can be the case sometimes with me. Whatever. I, I'll admit I get that impression. And, you know, so I don't want, you know, so I'm kind of going to this movie like, I hope I like this movie because if I don't, I'm going to say I don't like it, you know, or whatever, or I think it's overrated or whatever. So, um, you know, I started getting really excited to watch it, though, because, you know, literally you and a ton of other people that I trust uh, their opinions. So they loved it. I'm like, OK, I'm going to go into this movie. My wife was going with me, but she does not want to see any of these movies with me usually. So she was <laughs> excited to see it. Um, and. I, you know, I, and people have been asking, like, have, what do I think of this movie on Twitter? Or, you know, people, they haven't actually asked me yet, but because I already told everyone I'm going to wait to the show. And I have to say, I was blown away of how good it was. And I, I remember like, you know, going into it thinking like, you know, okay, it's going to be good. I was like, I couldn't believe how it lived up to the hype. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those things where that, Again, there's yes, it's it's a culturally important film, but to me, like that, the most important aspect is that Ryan Coogler created a movie that I didn't care that it was. I mean, I, I cared, but like in the movie in itself, I just watched it as a movie, mm-hmm. and I didn't think about like the cultural significance of what I was watching. I was watching a freaking great superhero movie that I just I loved li- literally every second, and I, I'll be I'll be honest, it's gonna be hard for me to really nitpick this movie at all. Um, it was, it was something that I just, I remember thinking that was really, really, really good. And it, it just, it was surprising that I had met and exceeded my expectations. Uh, a movie, a movie that did it somewhat, uh, similar, similar to that was a uh, Blade Runner 2049, which blew me away too. You know, this movie in a different way blows me away just to how like, it was such an entertaining fun superhero movie that what that was also deep in its core of what you know what it was saying and i just i love the message i loved i just love the characters mm-hmm. and one of the thing and one of the things that i and i don't i don't know how i did this sean i don't know how i did this but for some reason i must have underestimated how good the supporting cast was because i mean i knew it was an amazing supporting cast so i knew it was already the best supporting cast like of a Marvel film, like going into, it, I already knew it was one of the strongest cast, but you don't, you know, you, again, you don't under, you don't know what you see until you see their, them in character and the mm-hmm. script and all that jazz walking into this movie. I was blown away 
about that Chadwick Boseman. I feel like he was solid. He was good. But everyone around him just made it made the movie just so much like it's so perfect. And, you know, people I wasn't even expecting like Umbaku and things like that. Like mm-hmm. I I I was I couldn't believe how good all of the supporting characters were. And I say all of them. I mean, all of well, them. They were it also gra- They were also great because they didn't have because I. You know, it's funny you say like, oh, Chadwick Boseman was was solid, but you know, everybody there's like other people shining in this, and you know, because I've seen people say that a, a little bit, almost as a criticism of saying that the movie, you know, everybody else is so good that Black Panther doesn't, you know, totally shine as much as maybe you would expect, and and the way I right. I, I view that differently, I think Chadwick Boseman yeah. gives an even better performance than in this film than he did in Civil War because there's much more that he has to do in this mm-hmm. film. You know, most of what he's doing in Civil War is the angry son who lost his father and is out for revenge, and then he just has the one like final scene where he where he flips. Um, this scene he has to go through much much more, and I think what the what the real difference is though, it, it these actors are of course phenomenal and they get the most out of the material. But I give a lot of credit to Kugler and Joe Robert Cole, who wrote the script together, and then, of course, Kugler again directing all of these scenes, of actually allowing the supporting cast to shine. To, on a le- because I think we're, mm. I think the per- it's just the perspective that's different, because, or at least mine is anyway. So it's mm. not, to me, it's not a matter of Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther not standing out in the way that a lead normally stands out. It's just that yeah. the supporting cast is allowed to stand with him in a, a way, in a way that supporting casts mm-hmm. are usually not allowed to do. So normally the lead always stands out because there's usually this huge gap between what the lead gets to do versus what everybody else gets to do. Um, in this movie, there isn't, there isn't nearly that much of a gap. Everybody has a very important scene. Everybody has to get, has to express an opinion that plays right into the themes of the film. Um, they all get to make arguments, have sincere, genuine points of view to the point where even with a guy like Killmonger, where he's the antagonist, but a lot with a lot of the things he says, he's not wrong. Um, and with a lot, of, and, and that goes, but that goes throughout the film. It's not just him. Wakabi, when he, you know, who ultimately ends up being again opposed to. T'Challa and Okoye and everybody else, but you understand his perspective. It's not just this thing of, oh, we're the bad guys now and we twirl our mustaches. Like everybody's got a legitimate beef that's, you know, fueling, that's motivating them here. And I think that's what's so great about this film. But then it also allows everybody to have, well, not everybody, because for some people it's not the right thing, but for especially <laughs> the supporting cast, like for yeah. Lupita, Denai, and Letitia Wright, who is just amazing as Shuri. Yeah. I mean, they all get their chance to shine in different ways. They all get to have these heavy, dramatic scenes, but they also get to—they all get to have a sense of humor. Um, they all get—they all get in on the action in their own way. It's just—it's mm-hmm. just electric the way this movie goes, and I—and I think that's why people love this movie so much. Is that yes, you can latch on to any one of these characters mm-hmm. or all of these characters. Like going into this, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've seen people like note, you know. I didn't call it out, but like, you know, I noticed it early on when like M'Baku was in the Infinity War trailer. So people were like, oh, he's, you know, people were like, oh, he's been here the whole time. I'm like, yeah, I know. Um, But even though I knew that he would probably, that he was going to fight alongside T'Challa in Infinity War, I wasn't sure if that was because like he actually joined with T'Challa 
in Black Panther or because, you know, of the circumstances of an alien invasion in Infinity War causing them to uh, join join up together. I, <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know what would be the motivation behind that. But damn, like Winston Duke takes a character that I really didn't expect that much from. Yes. Because he's <laughs> he's kind of the you look at him as the C villain in this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Because you have your Killmonger is your A villain, Claw is your B villain, and uh, uh, Mbaku is your C villain. And then that's not at all what he ends up being. That's how he's initially introduced, but that's not what he becomes. And then when Winston Duke is allowed to actually show his charisma, when he gets the line about, mm-hmm. you know, I'll feed you to my children, just kidding, we're vegetarians. And then the whole, are you done thing? Like, it's just the way <laughs> Ryan Coogler finds time for everybody in this movie to get a moment that you will remember like you can't mm-hmm. you can't for although i should say i say you can't forget i feel terrible because we when i record we recorded our video spoiler review for superhero news and i forgot to mention mbaku in that one <laughs> mm, so Sean. i know Come i know on, i'm man. terrible but that's why i'm glad i get to do two shows uh, that's right so, that's right <laughs> So this is this is the Marvel Studios news exclusive. Is my review wow! of my spoiler thoughts on Mbaku? Um, oh boy! <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean it's just incredible. Like I, I've never seen a movie like this where there were so many characters. I mean, Avengers movies are different because they're not really supporting characters. Like they're all they're all leads together, you know, in that way. And this actually felt like an Avengers movie in that they all felt equally yes. important within mm-hmm. the story except they don't all have their own movies, but now they feel like they all could have their own movies. Yeah, it's the supporting cast. You you summed it up perfectly, Sean, is that Coogler and, and Cole did an amazing job of, of allowing the supporting cast to breathe instead of building up the the main character which is a lot of times the supporting cast's role which isn't wrong necessarily in a lot of these superhero movies they were given a lot more freedom to be themselves and and it just were i guess what i'm trying to say is it felt very natural everything felt so natural to the writing to the characterizations that the actors portrayed them as the direction that ryan coogler did i it's it's really incredible how naturally all came across and like we're a lot of times when you have like you, you, said, you said it best like in avengers films we we talked about in the last podcast how amazing it was for joss whedon to take all these characters and give them give them give them a moment to shine and not come across as too crowded and which they were able to do the same exact thing. And for these characters that we didn't know as well or barely at all and made us care about all of them instantly. And also, you know, again, it, that's also, it's kind of lightning in a bottle, right? You have the writing and the, and the, you have the charisma of the, the actors themselves. And I got to say that they, this is one of the best cast films, not just like, you know, obviously supporting cast, but like the casting, the actual finding the right actors for, you know, that aren't as well known, like the Shuri's, um, or, or forgot her name, the last name's right. Um, and Ubaku and things like that. Like those two, those two actors to me, like, just elevated the movie so much because they're they though they are not a, you know or at least Shuri is a pretty part of it but Mbaku himself isn't a giant part of the movie but he's in an important part and that you you care because you care about that character you know the the actor you know lets you into that and that's so hard to do when you're you know kind of a you're kind of an anti-villain or anti-hero basically you know you're not really for the king but you're you know you also aren't an evil person like you know Eric Killmonger so you know we'll, we'll get to obviously Michael B Jordan's uh 
uh, performance here in a second, but it's just like you have these supporting characters that do, do such a great job and, and their charisma to me is what really stands out. Like, uh, Shuri, I mean, I was me and Morgan with, like looked at each other multiple times uh, and just smiled at each other when Shuri would be on screen, just mm-hmm. being Shuri. And, and it's just the charisma that she was, was played at was so infectious. And you just you just thought she she is so adorable. She's just she's such a lovable character that you immediately are are just you want her to you just want to see more of her. And it's in this like Mbaku too. Like I want to see more Mbaku because there's something interesting about someone who has honor but yet wants the throne of Wakanda, you know, and thinks he's on the same level as T'Challa, you know, the, the Black Panther, mm-hmm. you know. So it's there was I was amazed and again that's why I think I, I underestimated the, the cast because I expected Angela Bassett to be good, Forrest Whitaker to be good, uh, you know, uh, you know Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan to be good, all these you know I expected all these people to be good, but I mean those two people that I was not familiar with blew me away and they were some of my favorite parts of the movie. I mean so when you have that and you're you're able to succeed in that is so 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 impressive and really like my i took the hat to him man like it was to make those small characters stand out and be again having the the guts to let these characters yeah. breathe and not be afraid to do that is really impressive and believe in those actors because those are star making yes. performances for Winston Duke and, and Letitia Wright i mean now, now everybody's talking about shuri and you know, the character is 16 years old, which is why you shouldn't be shipping her with Bucky, everybody. Um, but the character is, uh, Letitia Wright's <laughs> not 16, but the character is. But you could totally see this character, like, meeting Peter Parker, um, like, because of the, the whole science and information exchange that she'll be oh, spearheading. Like, you could totally see her meeting Peter Parker. I would also love to see Kamala Khan introduced at that same science fair or wherever they're at. But, like, whenever that happens, okay. like, I would love to start building up the teenage... Uh, teenage mutant ninjas, teenage mutant ninja, like Marvel heroes, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. Um, but anyway, like I, you could totally see that. Like now, you want to see this character all over the place, and that was um, one of the things. If I, if I was concerned about anything in the movie, um, it was because like, okay, well, they cast Letitia Wright, who's not certainly not as big of a name as as Lupita Nyong'o and, and Denai Gurira. So does that mean that Nakia and Okoye are going to be have bigger roles in this than Shuri, who normally in the comics would have a bigger role because she eventually becomes Black Panther? But no, I mean, it turns out I'm the asshole. Like, I'm the one who was, like, not giving Letitia Wright enough credit. Like, Ryan Coogler yeah. and Marvel Studios, they knew what they had, and they were able to... Uh, have a performance that was amazing. She has the funniest line in the movie when she cracks on T'Challa's uh, royal sandals. Like, it's the funniest bit, <laughs> you know, followed very quickly by, like, when he kicks the mannequin with the thing. <laughs> like, I bring you to my lab and you kick things around and then she records him, uh, like, uh, getting blasted by the suit. Like, she's just amazing. And then she gets in on the action at the end. But I, I think that was, the, but just with those, I, I'll I'll add four characters with, with Nakia, with Okoye, with Shuri, yeah. and then with uh, Angela Bassett's Ramonda, the uh, the Queen Mother, you just see like in terms of female characters, you know, it's it's almost this thing of like when people say strong female characters, it doesn't really mean anything anymore because people because like it, it's been defined as this one thing of oh well that a strong female character is just basically a woman who acts tough like a man, um, and mm. that's not you know that I guess can be it, but that's not the that's it's very limiting of like this is what this is what our idea of strength is and then i like that with these four women you see four different variations of strength 
you know, you see with like Nakia, there's more of the idea of of you know, there's she, obviously she can defend herself, but there's also this idea of kind of diplomacy. She has she's the one who wants to take care of people. You have Okoye, who's the fierce warrior, but also a very very loyal person. You have Shuri, who's a genius, just, you know, probably the smartest person in the world who, uh, in the MCU. You know, you see the strength of of Ramonda as a queen mother. She's the one who's like who's kind of the nurturing kind of caregiver, and that's where you see like. I don't know if that's a note from Coogler or just like a little touch from Angela Bassett, but like when they're surround, when they're in the mountains, like when they're going to try and give the heart-shaped herb to M'Baku and they're first surrounded by the Jabari, just the little motion of like with her arm, Angela Bassett gives this little motion to put herself like in front of Shuri because you just see like that's that's the mom, you know, like you, and so you just mm-hmm. see there's just little touches with all these characters that give them very very different identities, but they're all very very strong and, and independent uh, and independent people and i and i love the way that it does that and and that's the and but it it does the same thing with the male characters as well like you can just see like we talk about the idea of equality but equality is all about how like you actually portray the characters and uh, ryan coogler does an amazing job of really portraying these characters as uh as equals and i think it's a you know and and it's and plus in the way that every as i said before everybody gets to have their opinion. I mean, one of my favorite scenes in the film is that debate between after Killmonger has thrown T'Challa off of Warrior Falls and and Nakia is there like uh, Okoye first wants to know like are Shuri and and the queen safe and you know Nakia says yes, they're safe now let's go and then Okoye like my heart is with you but I can't like I you know I'm loyal to that throne no matter who sits on it and then you have Nakia, who was wanting, uh, of course, saying, you know, they both love their country, but in Nakia's idea, in Nakia's mind, it's about saving her country from what she sees as this, you know, this ruler who who isn't fit. And so I love that because like neither one of those two characters are wrong in the scene. Like you understand their points of view, um, you understand like, you know, in, in that idea of from Okoye's perspective, like it's not, you know, as Dora Milaje, it's not up to me to be like the judge of who's who's right to you know who's fit to be on that throne like we have our way that determines who gets to be on that throne killmonger won in that way so he gets to be on the throne it doesn't change what my obligations are and that because that plays into one of the larger themes of the film which is the idea of tradition versus progress you know and it's the value of it's the value of each of those things um, because another example is that if you really look at it, like Nakia and Killmonger are very, very similar in terms of what they want. What's they both want? They they both want to change and break from the traditions of Wakanda. They both want to help people outside of Wakanda. Because but how they how they plan to do that is where they differ. Nakia encourages T'Challa to have outreach programs to also bring refugees into Wakanda to protect them. Um, so, but that's still things that Wakanda does not do. Uh, Killmonger, his solution is, well, let's just go kill everybody and, and liberate everybody who we feel is, is oppressed. And so they both want Wakanda to do something Wakanda has not done, which is ultimately help other people. They just have very different ideas of what that help looks like. And so I, I think it's really, really great to see a film that just, that just dives into that and allows characters to have conversations and debates about important things, and yet they do it in ways where everybody has, you know, everybody is allowed to make a valid argument. It's not put in a way 
where somebody is just immediately deemed to be wrong and nobody wants to listen anymore. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, I, I the the whole Dorja, like, oh my god, the door, the Dora Milaje. Did I say it right? You got you got it that time. Woohoo! All right, good. So as everyone knows, I butcher everything. No, they were <laughs> that that was was so rad, and Okoye was was someone was probably one of my favorite characters next to uh, Shuri. Um, you know, I knew like I wasn't I knew who they were in the comic books. Um, they're kind of a more recent thing for me when I I discovered them, and I gotta say, Okoye to me was was a scene stealer too. Every mm-hmm. time she was on. I really felt that she held her own. Again, the charisma of her character was so prominent, and I love the fact that she was dedicated to her life, you know, to her, you know, to her king t- until the end. But, um, but no, like I thought she was such a great character, and I was, I was just again, it's really interesting and surprised that that she, you know, that she was a way again someone who who has a lot of screen time. And action scenes, they're able to fit her in and just be so natural. It to me is 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 really outstanding. Yeah, she is amazing in the film. She has, I, I think, she has my favorite action beats in the movie um, when she does the the spear throw that that upends the SUV, and then also oh, yeah. when her car is demolished and she flips, catches the spear, stabs it in the, like the hood of the car, and like basically surfs that down the street while Nakia is still stuck <laughs> in the car seat. <laughs> <laughs> with the steering wheel. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there's amazing stuff, uh, action beats with Black Panther, obviously, as well. I mean, I love the I love the absorption and redistribution of uh, oh. kinetic energy. And it was actually, um, it was actually my co-host on Superhero News, Sabina Graves, that, you know, brought up kind of a metaphor on that, that even, that hadn't dawned on me when I first saw it. Because I was used to seeing, I had seen it before. Um, I don't know if it's, if it happened in Marvel Comics before this, but I know the, Absorption and redistribution of kinetic, kinetic energy was part of the the Ta-Nehisi Coates run that just started a couple years ago yeah. with the art by Brian Stelfreeze. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with the mask being able to just come on as opposed to something that T'Challa puts on. Um, you know, she brought up the you know that idea of uh, you know especially for people of color that the idea of it uh, you know of the, that metaphor of somebody being able to take you know, basically take the violence, the hatred of, of everything that everybody might be inflicting upon them and redistribute and redistribute that in a way to protect themselves. You know, there is something very, very powerful about that uh, thematically that, that works within uh, the rest of the film. Um, because, and I think there's, and when I, you know, I want to keep making sure I'm covering as many of these, these themes as I can, you know, another big one is, uh, is that our, our heroes and our fathers aren't, you know, our heroes, our fathers, our mothers, like the, the traditions that we, that we might love about ourselves, our people, our country are not necessarily built on, uh, have not necessarily been maintained through uh, morally just means, at least not all the time. Our heroes are not perfect, um, which is kind of what Nakia tells T'Challa when he's struggling with this idea that his father killed his uncle and left his cousin behind, um, like completely all alone with you know, nobody to care for him. And that's, that's what creates the, the monster that, that Killmonger is. And so seeing T'Challa have to reconcile that. And I believe that's where, and that's where, again, I go into Chadwick Boseman in terms of his performance when he goes and confronts his father, uh, you know, he sees his father the first time and it's more of this passing of the torch on the ancestral plane. But then when he sees him the second time, he's confronting him and he says, you were wrong. All of you were wrong. 
um, you know, and his frustration when he hear when his father tries to explain why he made the decisions that he did with respect to um, not only killing Unjobu, played by Sterling K. Brown, uh, but then also leaving behind this kid, this kid Eric Stevens, who grows up to be Killmonger. You know, you just see there's just so much going on there, and it's all just so like there's there's so much meat in that scene, and it's beautifully acted. <laughs> by both John mm-hmm. Connie as T'Chaka and Chadwick Boseman. Um, I really, really, uh, I mean, I, I really love that. And, you know, seeing all that come to fruition. But then, you know, Killmonger carries a lot of the thematic weight on his shoulders uh, in this. And that's mm-hmm. why Michael B. Jordan, um, it's the best antagonist slash villain performance since Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. So I would, mm. I would love to see him nominated for an Oscar in the supporting actor category, just like Heath was. Uh, in well, ten years ago. Uh, well, it was nine years ago that the nomination happened. But for the movie in two thousand eight, now in twenty eighteen, we have uh, we have Michael B. Jordan. Um, it's amazing what happens here because, and that's you know, I, I've I've always been critical of the sympathetic villain trope, especially in superhero movies, because I think they rarely pull it off. Um, the only one I've really kind of gotten into a little bit was Loki, at, um, because I, certainly I can see, but it's not even so much. Of a, it's not even so much sympathy, although I guess it is in the first Thor film, but it's just more of like a a recognition that there's more going on here than this guy who just wants to be evil all the time. But I've never sympathized with an antagonist the way that I did with Eric Killmonger, uh, because he, you certainly understand why he felt the way that he did. The guy was completely rejected by. Uh, the home he knew in Oakland, and he was rejected by the home he didn't know, but the but the home that he was promised by his father, uh, because they came they came to Oakland, they killed his father, and they left, uh, and you know with with no means for him to get back to Wakanda. So like I just think there is something really really powerful about Killmonger's position in this film, because you just see we talk about the idea of representation with this movie. And Killmonger kind of is the embodiment of pers- of representation and the danger that the danger that comes when it doesn't happen. You know the the hurt and sometimes the way that that manifests in in anger and in violence. That when people don't feel like they have a voice, when they don't feel that they're cared about, when they don't feel like they have a home, like they have a place, um, you see how that you know how that creates the anger that you see within Killmonger. And that's why when he's on the ancestral plane talking to his father. And you see Njobu's heart just completely break because he realized that his, his son is lost. Like everything that he was, would have tried to teach his son um, is gone. And, and what's there is just this anger that's going to cause him to, that's motivating him to act in a very, very violent way and want to hurt a lot of people. And then I, there's, no, there's no antagonist who ever had a better closing line than the last words of Killmonger when... He's been defeated in battle by T'Challa, and he's given the option to be saved because in Wakanda they can save you from anything. So even though he took this huge blade to the chest, and there T'Challa offers to save him, and he just says, "Well, you would just have me spend the rest of my life, in you know, in prison." So he said, "Just bury me in the ocean with my ancestors who jumped from the ships because even they knew that death was better than a life in bondage." Um, mm. and you see, you know, exa- it, you know, it sums up his entire perspective and you see that there's not, it's not evil within him. It's pain within Killmonger and you know where it comes from. And it comes from a place that is, I think you, 
as a human being, you should be able to uh, find empathy for that. Um, and there's a sadness and a heartbreak to that that is just so, uh, it's so moving in the way that Killmonger uh, meets his end. He's in one way living out, he's in one way living out this dream that his father promised him, which is the, you know, the Wakandan sunset being the most beautiful in the world. And he's finally seeing it with his own eyes for the first time. Um, but there, but once again, this dream that he's been promised for his father, this, this, this promise of Wakanda for Killmonger is it's out of reach. You know, it's, it's not there. Um, so he, you know, when he ultimately chooses death over, you know, once again, never see, he chooses death over never again, seeing, uh, that sunset. And it's just, it's so moving to the way, uh, Killmonger's entire arc, uh, throughout the film, but especially his end is so poignant. Yeah, that's really well said, Sean. And it's me hard to follow that up, but, um, you know, Eric Killmonger again is one of those characters that I didn't, you know, he's not, he's not, doesn't have a lot of depth. I don't think in, in the comic books, he's just a character that just rivals, uh, T'Challa, you know, for the throne, much like M'Baku, uh, his character, who is known in the comics as Manny. But, um, but M'Baku, uh, Killmonger, they're, they're both just characters that are just, you know, comics, they don't have a lot of depth. And one of the things that I think the, the movies have done, you know, they try to do is give the villains a little bit more sympathy, like Loki. And definitely, I agree, this is on Loki level. Um, and he's definitely, I think, the most intriguing and, and I think also understanding villains of why so, someone would be driven to do what he's done. Um, being someone to train himself to go back to, you know, knowing somewhere is so advanced to where, you know, he, you know, that the world, he knows where, what, what's holding, you know, holding them back, you know, holding the world back. He knows this place exists. And he also knows it's the place that rejected him and his father. Mm -hmm. That's a powerful, powerful thing. So it's not only, it's, it's a secret what, where he is, you know, as far as a royal line, but as far as like where he, where, where he comes from, like no one's going to believe him when he says it. So he knows that. So the only way to get back there is to be, you know, to become, you know, bigger than, you know, than anyone ever would have dreamed, become smart, you know, work and be as smart as everyone around him to eventually go back to Wakanda to rightfully take back and remind them of what they're hiding as, you know, he's kind of that, he's kind of like that, that, um, he is the representation of Wakanda of like, you know, what happens when you do hold these secrets on, not just from an emotional standpoint from what happened, but from a, you know, from the technological standpoint, what they could be doing and saving people. And that's what he brings up. And then that's what makes him so such a fascinating character is in a lot of these sympathetic villains, you know, they, they come from, you know, a hurtful place. And he obviously does the moment that he is, he goes under the, the dirt Mm -hmm. And he sees his father. That's a very powerful moment. And even his father's like kind of trying to warn him, don't go down this road. And he doesn't listen. He's like, no, you know, like, and if I remember, I only see the movie once. So bear with me if I'm mistaken. But if I remember correctly, he basically tells his dad, like, we have to, you know, the, the world needs to see what, what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he tells him that and, and his dad's like, no. And I thought that was such a powerful thing that, you know, that the spirit of his uncle or his, excuse me, his father is trying to tell him like, even though like, yeah, they made a mistake, you know, he, he's telling, he's telling him right back to him. No, like this has to change. 
And it's just a fascinating idea that he represents the mistake of Wakanda, you know, secluding themselves, you know, in that in that way of of everything. I just it, there's just there is a fascination with me about him. And again, that sympathy comes into play when he sits down in front of the throne. He tells everyone that's why the council doesn't go against him when he takes over. Like mm-hmm. you, you, if he was just, a, you know, the, the truly the the killmonger where he just was murdering everyone for the fun of it, like, you know, some a rant, like crossbones or something like that. Right. Just to murder people. Um, I think the people would revolt against him, you know, at, at right then. But mm-hmm. they don't because everything he says is true. So, you know, it's it's just one of those things where. He represents so many different things that Michael B. Jordan's performance really is – it's holding so much weight. And it's weird because I don't feel he's in the movie a ton. You know, I mean he's in the movie a decent amount, but I, I wanted more. I, I expected him to be in the movie more. Yeah, that's actually my, he, my one uh, – besides like nitpicking some some spotty CG in some places, which – Sure. You know, whatever. Um Yeah. You know, no, the rhinos don't look perfect, but we had a headlock takeover. I love of a the rhino. rhinos. Well, plus, you know, we had, uh, I like dino riders. You had rhino riders. It's totally cool. By ah, me. Ah, um, ah. But also you got to do what actually does happen in a Black Panther comic, which is T'Challa as Black Panther actually does a headlock takedown of a <laughs> rhino. Like that actually <laughs> happened. Uh, y'all know I defended Hulk dogs by saying that's in a comic. So is T'Challa taking out a rhino. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, like I, I, you know, I, I also wish that there would have been a little bit more of Killmonger earlier on yeah. in the film um, because there's plenty of him, you know, like towards the end of Act 2 and through, obviously, Act 3. But, you know, he we, he kind of has his little scene, you know, taking the vibranium at the British Museum. And then we really only get that quick flash of him when he breaks Claw out. So, yeah, I agree. I would have loved – that's – you know, the craziest thing about my uh, criticism of Black Panther is it's in a general sense like the movie just could have been longer for me. You know, like, and it's already a movie that's, you know, two and a quarter hours just about. So, you know, but we've seen comic book movies that have gone. I mean, obviously, I don't want like a two forty five three hour, but like it could have this one probably could have been two and a half. And maybe that would have been too long for some people. Um, I don't know. But for me, it wouldn't have been because there could have been a little bit more uh, with Killmonger, at least like five to ten more minutes of stuff with him. But whatever. Um, Yeah. And I, I agree that they kind of reassessed or they certainly developed him more from the comics the killmonger in the comics he he does actually make a good point occasionally but he's also still very clearly diabolical um, yeah exactly mm-hmm. uh, and that is not uh that is not the case because that it's interesting though because like the 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 comic book inspirations for this are they're pretty spot on there's no one like definitive run that is yeah. definitely like you know, the overriding influence on, on this film, but you can spot Reginald Hudlin in there. You can spot Christopher priest in there, uh, but you can also spot like the Don McGregor Panthers rage stuff from jungle action, because that was what introduced Killmonger. And, and the way their first fight ends is it's exactly, except uh, in this, in this story, Killmonger doesn't have his pet leopard, but other than that, like it ends with it ends in a fight where uh, Killmonger throws T'Challa over Warrior Falls, and and then you spend like the next twelve issues of T'Challa just going through different uh, bad guys that Killmonger has put in front of him to eventually get to Killmonger again. And you know, so you see like the influence of that story. You see, although obviously T'Challa doesn't have to go through fighting a bunch of people to get to Killmonger in this one, 
Um, but there's inf- you know the, you see the influence from all these different runs of Black Panther, and it's it's pretty incredible to see you know what they were able to uh, incorporate into this. But you know I the but the, another thing that really caught me by surprise is I didn't know that they would give Wakabi as much to do as they did in the film. Um, my concern with Daniel Kaluuya was he was cast before Get Out became such a sensation that sometimes like the timing is off on that because the you cast somebody in a very, very small role and then they become a superstar after you cast them but before your movie comes out and now you've burned them in the MCU. <laughs> like you can't use them again. <laughs> um, but they gave him a, a good role because Wakabi actually had a pretty good role in that Panther's Rage story and he actually was disagreeing with T'Challa quite frequently. So that that was very true to, you know, it was a little bit of different reasons, but it was very, it was true to that, uh, you know, them having conflict and it, you know, Wakabi being somebody who ultimately sympathizes with Killmonger in the end, you know, you totally, uh, like there's, there's a lot of truth to that to the source material, but it also just creates, it adds to the depth of the film. It adds to the idea of, you know, cause it wouldn't work. Like the movie wouldn't be as interesting if everybody, if everybody hated Killmonger. You know, if everybody, yeah. if if Killmonger shows up in Wakanda and everybody hates him and goes, this guy's wrong, this guy's evil, like we can't, we can't have this. The fact that there are people who do take his side uh, in the arguments shows that they're like, that's what I mean about having validity to the opinions that the characters express is like, they all get backed up, you know, by different people. You know, so even though there, they, there might be conflicts between uh, you know, in a one-on-one basis, once you get into a group setting, you actually see that. Um, and even like, uh, not quite as heavy, but earlier in the film, like when T'Challa meets with the tribal council to see like all the tribal leaders from Wakanda to see like about this mission, you know, with, uh, to go take down claw in, in, in South Korea. Like you just see all these different things that really, you know, add depth to uh, add depth to this film and, and make it interesting. And, and yet at the same time, like it's doing all of this stuff, but there's still plenty of fun and humor, like in the movie, like some of the superhero action is incredible. Like I, that shot of black Panther, like leaping over the shields and then like, you know, having the kinetic mm-hmm. explosion, you know, like lifting all those guys from the board, from uh, Wakabi's border tribe off the ground. Like, that's amazing. I talked about the rhino headlock takeover. Uh, you have, <laughs> uh, you know, I talked about uh, deny, like the whole casino fight is just incredible. Oh, like, I love that. Yeah. You know, I love the, I love the, just the atmosphere of those fights at Warrior Falls, both of them. Um, and I thought that, uh, especially in the, the fight uh, between T'Challa and Killmonger, like the fact that like Ryan Coogler actually like, really shows with the camera, like the slicing of T'Challa, you know, when like kill, like you see when Killmonger reaches the blade, like through and like slices his leg and then slices his stomach. Like you see that, you feel that it's very, uh, very visceral. The only fight scene I don't really like is the one in the, is the very, very first one where T'Challa's taken out those militia guys who've, you know, that Nakia is embedded with because the entire scene is pitch black and it's a hero in a black costume. And I, 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 can't, yeah. I can't see what's happening. I've watched the movie three times. I can't tell you very much about what happens in there. I mean, it's all, it's very dark and it's cut super fast. Um, the only thing that really stands out there from an action standpoint is uh, T'Challa like slicing that car door and throwing it back at the guy. Like, so that part I can catch and everything else is just, you know, and I see some leg sweeps and whatever, but overall it's just, it's not, it it's not a great action showcase, but I also get it because like, they're just trying to show like how amazing and quick black Panther is like that. You can't see him. Like that's how fast he moves. 
which is fine to do since it's obviously not the only action beat that he has in the movie. You're gonna, there are plenty of other sequences where you get to see him uh, doing his thing. But, yeah, there's just so much good stuff in there. And then, like, I, Martin Freeman, they found a good role for him as Everett Ross because that character is super chaotic and actually annoying in Christopher Priest's run. <laughs> like, he is, <laughs> like, the most unreliable, unreliable narrator there has ever been. It's it's like a running joke in, in the book. Like, it's a self-aware joke of, of Everett Ross that he's just super neurotic and weird and, and everything. And um and there's just like weird stuff because he's dating somebody who is like ultimately like an ex-girlfriend of t'challa and it just gets weird um but like he was cool and then andy circus like man i didn't expect claw to uh die in this movie and if you had told me before this movie Ugh. that claw was gonna die i would have said what the hell um but narratively it makes complete sense in the story and i can't argue with it i, I really can't there's Ugh. there will be that part of me that's like damn it if like we could have had like masters of evil at some point claw should have been in there but it, it was you know lit- it's 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 a literal sacrifice for the greatness that is killmonger as an antagonist so i'm not really going to argue with it and andy circus before he goes down uh he get turns in a super charismatic performance that i really love i mean when he's singing what is love in the interrogation room <laughs> like i mean i'm just having a blast with the guy the, and he had another one of my favorite uh like comedic lines in the film is like and he's actually saying he's going to send Ross his SoundCloud link um, for his mixtape. Like, just <laughs> just so great. Um, you know, I, I just love... There's a lot of stuff that was going on there. And it and it's a treat to see, like, Andy Serkis allowed to give a great performance as Andy Serkis and not digitally covered up as, you know, whatever the hell Gollum is and or, you know, or an ape. Like, it's just great to see Andy Serkis as Andy Serkis on the screen and showing uh, what we've known all along that, like, this guy can really act. Yeah, the Andy Serkis's claw was a lot better. Like he, he, I loved, I loved his character in this movie. I thought he was great. Um, I was devastated when they killed him, and I don't know if he's quite dead. You oh, know, he's dead, dude. They, I, you never know. You know, it, Claw becomes, you know, the master of sound, and you know, maybe he's got he, bullets like, in him, and he was dead long enough to fly from Korea to Wakanda. Oh, right, dead, dude. Right. Oh, <laughs> such a bummer. They showed was, the body multiple bummed. times. He's dead. I was, I was pretty bummed. Not gonna lie, I was pretty devastated. He's dead. Um, no, I thought his performance. He was a great villain, a, the B villain, but a great B villain. I mean. I, I'll, I'll admit I was really surprised and disappointed that they killed him off. But uh, I again I have reasons why with an eventual Black Panther sequel. Um, but that being said, um, yeah, he was fantastic. Um, the uh, yeah, you know it's it was cool to see Killmonger and him work together. I thought the the the, the, the charisma between the the Killmonger and him were was pretty. It was I don't know it was a good it was a good kind of difference. Uh, it was different. You know, and I, I like that. I like I like the, the the kind of different situation that they put everyone in with with Claw, um, and he is a you know again he's like one of the he's one of the only I'd say like made or one of the top three you know Black Panther villains next to, in fact I put him over even Killmonger. He's been they've been going at it forever. Well, so, he's the original Black Panther villain because when yeah. Black Panther appears in it's a two issue arc in. Uh, Fantastic Four. The first issue is Black Panther kicking the shit out of the Fantastic Four because <laughs> um, he basically brought the Fantastic Four to Wakanda, unbeknownst to them, so that he can like actually battle them to see that he's actually ready for when Claw comes back. 
Uh, and then, of course, Claw comes back in that second issue. Um, so, yeah, like from the beginning of Black Panther's creation within those issues of Fantastic Four, Claw's been there. Yeah. So, I mean, it's 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 like I said, it's disappointing. I would I, I would love to see the interpretation of the MCU red costume, but alas, is not going to happen. So, you know, it's it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a worthy it's a worthy sacrifice you know like sometimes it's like you know he fulfills a proper narrative purpose in that and at the same time they also kind of showed within in this iteration like and just like in the comics there's not a lot of depth to claw like he's just a thief like so you know like there's not there's not a huge amount of character motivation there to really dissect through multiple films you know, even if there was a Masters of Evil, he would have been one of the lower guys on the totem pole. Like in that yeah. group, he would have just been kind of the guy to be funny, and they can find other people to do that if they ever, if they ever even are going to do a Masters of Evil thing, which I just desperately hope, uh, desperately hope that they do. Um, yes. We yeah, before we you know wrap up. I mean, there's no way to cover all of this film, which is why yes. we're going to have a Q and A episode. Um, more details on that later. Um, but mm. I want to get into. I want to make sure we get into. Uh, at least one of the post-credit scenes. I want to get into the mid-credit ones for sure because I think it's one of the most powerful scenes uh, in all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I've seen people compare T'Challa's speech to kind of that Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man you know, press conference. I think I've even seen Coogler and Bozeman compare it to that. And yes, there is that element to it, but man, there's so much more going on here. You know, Iron Man was not that, you know, Tony's speech at the end of Iron Man was just really more about that electricity of the I am Iron Man moment. Um, and it's just kind of a shot of adrenaline to get you excited about uh, everything that's coming next. I think the mid credit scene in, in Black Panther is really just more, uh, it, it's not so much about a shot of adrenaline. It's really more of kind of a, a wake-up call for anyone who's not, you know, paying attention. Like the messages within that, um, are so strong. The I, when everything that Chadwick Boseman is saying, you know, I saw this with uh, I saw this on op- saw it again on opening night at the Chinese theater IMAX in Hollywood, and and at, pretty much after every line uh, that he that T'Challa spoke, like people started applauding. You know, from when he's talking about the illusions of division being the greatest threat to our existence, we all know the truth. There's more that connects us than separates us, and when he talks about how in times of trouble. The wise build barriers while the fool. Or I'm sorry. The wise build bridges while the foolish build barriers, and everybody like really erupted in loud applause uh, after that. I mean, it's just amazing because we all know there's a knucklehead who who ran a, an entire campaign on the idea of build, of literally building a wall. Um, now I know that wasn't necessarily a direct shot from Kugler to the idea of that wall because Kugler said that you know he took the, he, that line he got from an African proverb that he and his wife had found. Uh, while he was writing the script, but we all, but it's not like he's not aware of what people are going to think of, you know, when you hear that. Um, but it's about more than that. Obviously, it's not just the idea of, you know, one guy who has some plan to build some wall. It's the idea of, you know, building barriers, the barriers that we build between one another that aren't necessarily physical structures. You know, we build barriers between each other all the time, the way that we give into the illusions of division that T'Challa is talking about the way that we don't necessarily, uh, you know, build the bridge that we need to by, and, you know, again, a bridge, not necessarily a physical structure, building a bridge is as simple as reaching your hand out to somebody else to, you know, to help, to share. So there, there are all these things that, you know, T'Challa gives you to think about, but it's also 
Yeah, it's also a very strong call to action that I think is really, really beautiful and necessary and timely and just incredibly, uh, incredibly relevant right now. And I think that's it's a perfect kind of summation of of everything that the movie was about. In fact, if I if I were to offer a criticism, uh, it would be that maybe this scene should play before any credits roll, you know, that maybe this should have just been mm-hmm. the last scene before any credits. But then again, it's it's hard for me to really nitpick that because I also love the way it ends with the kids in Oakland, you know, like so. And and of course, uh, you know, most people know to stay, although I can tell I can tell you right now, there were a lot of people on Thursday night. It was their first Marvel movie because they left when the credits rolled. <laughs> so, Aww. um you know, which is a little unfortunate because they, they, I think they missed a scene that they would have loved. Although that theater was so packed, they probably all saw it, you know, on their way out because that scene happens, you know, very quickly uh, in the credits. So anyway, it's it's just such a powerful scene. I think it's one of the be- hands down best scenes in all of the MCU. Instantly, uh, instantly one of my favorites. I know it's not, it doesn't fit into this idea of, you know, building excitement for the next movie and, and whatever else, but I don't care. Like this was such, it's, it's such a beautiful scene that is kind of a, a perfect summation of, of the rest of the film. That's really well said, Sean. I really can't add any more, but just, you know, it, what it represented was really cool. And, uh, I know my wife really loved that scene, especially she hooted and hollered when, when that happened. So yeah, I mean, you, you said it best. So definitely yeah. second what you said. Yeah. And then the other one, um, you know, Bucky showing up. I like that they were calling him the White Wolf because it's kind of an homage. <laughs> yeah. It's an homage to the Hetut Zaraze, who are kind of like a a Wakandan, almost CIA. Like they're the war dogs. When they call Nakia a war dog and they talk about the spies all over the world called war dogs, that's actually who they are in the comics. Is they wear these costumes and they're you know known as White Wolves. But so that's quick little homage there. But I also just like you know. I, it's funny. I was talking to some people after a screening and they were a little disappointed by it, you know, a little disappointed that it was just Bucky and it wasn't like also Captain America and Sam and everybody else who who were there. And, and my thought on that was like, this was perfect. Like we, because Bucky was the one guy who we knew was there and he was actually teased in the film when Shuri says, you, you know, another broken white boy for me to fix whenever, I Ross know, brought yeah. in, which is a great line. Um, <laughs> it's a great line. <laughs> and then, you know, so you have that, but then like, I actually liked that it was Bucky because it, it made sense within the narrative first and foremost. But second, you know, we already got the big infinity war tease in the Thor Ragnarok mid credit scene. You know, we already got that. So with black Panther, I think this film is so great and also so important that I wouldn't want people to come out of this movie talking about anything other than black Panther. And that's why I think it was great to have a scene that would continue the story, but not be so big and not be such a massive tease that everybody walks out of the theater talking about Infinity War, because now that's that's what's up next. You know, I know that's coming very, very quickly. It's going to be here in just like two and a half months, uh, which is awesome. But, you know, like Black Panther is a movie that people need to sit with and and enjoy and discuss. And I I like that this scene was a little more subtle, uh, that it's a little bit downplayed as post-credit scenes go, because it allows the conversation to stay on Black Panther, because Black Panther deserves to have uh, the conversation that will be, all the conversations are going to be had about this film uh, in the coming weeks. 
Yeah, I actually really liked the uh, the, uh, the the post credit scene. I thought it was really cool. The fact that they we know that they they obviously are going to dethaw Bucky because you see him in Infinity War trailer. But it's cool that they they do it before the invasion of Wakanda. They don't just mm-hmm. go randomly like out of nowhere. We dethaw the so, Winter like, Soldier. He's actually better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So they actually work. You know, Shuri has been working with him. You know, for a while now. And it's also it's really cool that now that I, I, we all knew he was going to get another arm, but now we know who made it and how we all love her. So mm-hmm. it, she makes it even more cool. So it, it was just, it was a cool little moment between the two of them. I, I it was it was cool to see Bucky again, and, and the fact that they're they're again they're embracing him into into like the the culture of Wakanda and that he's there hanging out. So I don't know. I thought it was a, a cute little little end scene, but it, it was perfect. I felt too because now we're gonna get ready for you know Infinity War, which is gonna blow our our brains out. So I'm assuming. So yeah, I was down with it. It wasn't mind blowing, but it was cool. Yeah, no, it, it was cool. And, you know, so we're going to be talking a lot. We'll sum up our thoughts in, in a moment here, but we're going to be talking a lot more about this movie. So um, via the Q&A episode. Now, we have a Q&A episode for this film. It is going to be exclusive to our patrons over at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. They're going to get priority on, of course, sending in the questions, but also, uh, you know, we'll... They may not send in enough, so we'll get questions from everybody. But in terms of listening to it, uh, you can go to our Patreon page and see, you know, what tiers you need to have in order to have the Q and A uh, episode. So that's going to be coming up. We'll be talking more about that. But also, we're going to have our Patreon credit scene as we do every week, where we will talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about this film, the connections between this film and Infinity War. We'll also talk about some more of the the latest Marvel news that's running around. So we'll have plenty to talk about. And we're mm-hmm. also going to talk about in this week's Patreon credit scene, I'm going to talk about the Soul Stone because everybody's talking about that not being in Black Panther. And my argument is that doesn't mean it's not in Wakanda. So we'll be talking mm-hmm. about that. Uh, but before we go, before we get out of here, Paul, let's, let's sum it up with... Uh, with Black Panther. So overall, what's your, your takeaway from it? My overall takeaway is it's definitely the, one of the best MCU films uh, made so far. And that's obviously a tall order. I don't know exactly where it falls in line with me yet mm-hmm. because I need to see it multiple times, but I have to say it's, it's probably the top five. I love it that much. I'm, I'm curious if more uh, viewings are, are going to change that, but yeah, I, I, I freaking love this movie and I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah. I've made my, I've made a commitment to myself to not try to immediately assign any specific number rankings to these movies when I first see them. Um, and even so, even though I've seen, Black Panther three times, it's all within the span of a couple weeks. So it's not like I've really had a a long time to sit with the film. So uh, I definitely don't want to just immediately say, yes, it's definitely the best Marvel movie ever, or no, it's number two or number three. Um, well, first off, I never take my rankings that seriously anyway, because they're, I, I always end up feeling differently about them. But with Black Panther, I definitely put it immediately in... Uh, because yeah, it's fun. I've talked about this with people more recently. Like I have a really hard time ranking the Marvel movies in in any type of order because it's it's really hard to just say like this is definitely number one or this these are definitely in the top five because then I feel bad about a couple films that that aren't in the top five that I feel like should be. But then if I do that, I have to take out other ones that I that I'm going to feel the exact same way about. Um, 
but I do kind of have like tiers of Marvel movies, you know, and this, this goes in the top tier immediately for sure. Like this is definitely going to be in the conversation for the best Marvel movie. And since I collected those cards when they're, when I was a kid, like I've now come up with the name for that tier. This is, this is the Marvel masterpieces. Like these are the ones that are, you know, that, that are the, the very top mm. and uh black Panther is, is, it's one of the uh, Marvel masterpieces or Marvel Studios masterpieces, whatever you want to call it. Um, I really, really love this film. I think it has, I think it is a film that is challenging to the audience. And, but uh, as it's, it's just as entertaining as it is challenging to the audience. And I think that's a, I think that's a sweet spot for comic book movies and, and blockbuster entertainment. Cause I know there's a lot of thought of you can't, you know, you can't do both. You have to be, light and funny or you have to be dark and, and serious with heavy themes and, and black panther um it, i don't think it's the first example that marvel has given that you can do all of those things in one movie but i think it might be the best example uh that marvel has shown uh, that you can do all of those things uh in one movie so maybe that's going to make it the best ever in in my opinion maybe it won't i don't know but as i said it's up the, it's it's at or near the very very top uh, and definitely in that Marvel Masterpiece class that uh, that I was talking about. So uh, for those of you who are patrons, we're going to see you shortly in the Patreon credit scene to talk about the Soul Stone and talk about some other stuff uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, but for the rest of you, make sure you keep up with us at Marvel Studio. And we, of course, for the rest of you, we still appreciate that you support us by listening to the show. Thank you very much for that. Um, and <laughs> you can keep up with us every day, MarvelStudiosNews.com, where you can find me writing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You can also find us on Facebook, Marvel Studios News, and you can also find us on Twitter at Marvel Newscast. Paul, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's. And you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Sean Gerber, Sean spelled S-E-A-N. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. 